afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to live from your true self through all of life's twists and turns. And you'll be challenged to lean into the mysteries of life to find your own deepest wisdom. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, the terms spiritual abuse have thus far only been used to describe how Christian leaders abuse church members. But spiritual abuse runs far deeper and far wider than can be described by any one religion. Spiritual abuse is abuse of the human spirit. While it's true that your spirit, your soul, can't really be damaged, it's also true that you can be split off from any conscious awareness of your spirit. And that's what spiritual abuse does. It's possible to live a life completely bereft of any conscious awareness of one's own spirit. That's what spiritual abuse can do. It can happen in any religion, in the spiritual but not religious population, in the New Age followers, in New Thought followers, in the Human Potential Movement, and in our homes, in our schools, and in our workplaces. Anywhere there is spirit, there can be abuse of that spirit, but it can also be healed. Let's talk about it. It's time we talk about it in a very open way that's not just related to Christianity or church going, but rather the whole of the human spirit. So we're going to talk about that today. So what do we, first, what, what do we mean when we talk about uh, the human spirit? Well, the human spirit is that deepest essence of who you are. It's very unique. It's very special. There's no one else on earth that can bring to the earth what you bring to the earth. It's your special, unique, uh, essential base, your foundation, your essence, and that is your human, your spirit. And uh, and so when we talk about abusing the spirit, what we're talking about is that you get knocked out of awareness of that spirit. You get told or taught or abused in such a way that you no longer have any access to your own spirit. And it can't lead you. It can't give you intuitive flashes. It can't talk to you. Or if it does, you can't hear it. And uh, so, so when the human spirit is abused, what happens is we're cut off from any awareness of the human spirit. The human spirit, I describe it like the roots of a tree. So you can injure the tree above ground, you can hang basketball hoops on it, you can carve your initials in it, and branches can be chopped off, um, branches can fall off, uh, it can get can- diseases in the top of the tree, uh, lightning can strike it, wind can blow it, snow can uh, uh, rain, rain on it, rain can rain on it, it can be exposed to the weather and the wind and the and hurricanes and tornadoes and all kinds of things on above ground. But down below ground, for the most part, now the, this analogy does pass away when, when we talk about trees being uprooted, but uh, for the most part, the roots are doing just fine. So the roots are where the tree's essence is. The tree's life force comes from the roots of that tree. And the roots of the tree are doing just fine, even though the above, above ground tree can be wounded. So we can be wounded above ground and our spirit can be just fine. And if we can access that spirit, we will be able to heal our, heal our own wounds. 
But if we can't access that spirit, we can't heal our own wounds and we don't get better. Uh, And we may get more and more dysfunctional as a result. So the nature of spiritual abuse is that it cuts us off from our spirit. It cuts us off from uh, being able to access our spirit. When religious or spiritual leaders spiritually abuse, that is when uh, they do that by typically by teaching the child or an adult that um, there's only one way to live, there's only one way to think, there's only one way to be, and that is the way that there's being taught. And if you don't do that way, there might be terrible consequences. And again, this can happen in any religion. One example in the Christian church is when people are taught to believe that they must live a certain way and they must believe a certain way or they're going to hell. Um, and uh, that's one way. Another way is to, uh, I, one of the, one real clear example of that is children being forced to, or, or not forced, but challenged to go through a, a haunted house on Halloween that's all about hell. And those children get terrified. They get terrified of hell. And that is meant to scare them so that they will be, get saved. That's spiritual abuse. That tells the child, this is how you must be or there's terrible consequences to pay. I've heard of cases in the Buddhist religion where children were told to stand out in the snow barefooted. And if they could not do that, they were beaten um, by their religious leaders because they were taught that this was some way to have body, mind over body that they, they were supposed to be able to stand in the snow without the snow bothering them, um, or they were not really allowing the mind to control the body. And, um, and so they were beaten. And that's, that's spiritual abuse, because it teaches the child, this is how you must be. If you're not that way, there's something wrong with you, and you must, you must give up your essentiality. You must give up your true self. You must give up any original thinking. You must give up your own spirit in order to participate in this. This is the way to be. Don't be that way. Don't, don't think for yourself. Don't ask your own questions. Don't explore your own initiatives. Don't question the religion. Just believe what we tell you to believe, and then you'll be okay. Otherwise, there's terrible punishment to be had. So it doesn't matter what the religion is. The spiritual abuse is to teach the, the child or the adult that they, they can't think for themselves. They must not think for themselves. In fact... In some religions, to think for yourself is considered to be uh, bad because that's where the devil is. The devil is in your own thoughts. So you can't go there. You can't trust that. You must trust the other teachers to tell you how to think because they have the wisdom. So you're looking externally all the time for wisdom and guidance instead of looking internally for your own internal authority. Um, uh, um, so that's how spiritual leaders and Christian, uh, I mean, religious and spiritual leaders spiritually abused. Uh, they do it in all religions. It's not, it, it, as I said at the beginning of the show, there are several books out there written about how uh, spiritual abuse happens in the Christian church. I would call that religious abuse, not spiritual abuse, because it's talking about how um, religion actually abuses. But, but I would call spiritual abuse anything that teaches us to ignore our own spirits, our own questions, our own thoughts. I remember a three-year-old one time saying, do you hear that waterfall now, that culvert over there? That's God laughing. And that was a child who was in touch with his own spiritual thoughts. He was in touch with his own original thoughts. 
And um, nobody had taught him that. That was just his own imagination about God. And that, that is, that's an exploration of your own spirituality. But if we're taught this is what God is like, this is what the divine is like, this is how you should live, this is why, how you have to live, or else there's terrible consequences to pay, then we're taught to not ask any questions. Don't question this. This is wrong. If you don't question it, you don't have enough. If you question it, excuse me, you don't have enough faith. And that means that you're, you're bad and it's, there, there might be terrible consequences to pay. All right, so there's a lot of spiritual abuse run rampant through many religions where people are taught not to think for themselves, but just to believe what they're taught to believe. And if they don't believe it, there's terrible consequences. It's also possible for parents and caregivers to spiritually abuse. Um, and they do that in numerous ways, but, but primarily they do it by teaching the child, don't be who you are, be who we need you to be. And they do that in all kinds of subtle and overt ways. Um, uh, sometimes they do it through actual abuse, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But, but, but they mainly do it by teaching the child who to be, not teaching the child to be his truest self, but teaching the child this is who you have to be. You have to be this. And they can do that by pressuring the child to be the caregiver in the home, um, so a child who grows up in a home where parents refuse to take on their role as the primary caregiver, uh, so, so maybe they're using drugs and they're not really paying attention to what's going on with the kids, they're neglecting the kids and maybe even abusing the kids, somebody in the household has to take responsibility and so one of the children steps up, one of the children says, okay, I'll do this, I'll take responsibility and they probably felt pressure from the parents through guilt, through persuasion or through just not doing anything to, uh, to put, take on the role as a caregiver. So that child, very often one of the oldest children, will take on the role of being the caregiver in that family. And they raise the children. They make sure the children are fed. Sometimes they even pay the bills. Uh, sometimes they even end up scrounging around in the garbage heap looking for food because there's no other way to get food for this family. Because the parents have just said, I'm not going to be a parent. And so this child is trying to be the parent. In counseling and mental health circles, we call that the parentified child. I call it a spiritually abused child because the child has been taught not to be who he is, to give that up in favor of being the caregiver. Don't be who you are. Be who we need you to be. So they're pressured into that by all kinds of subtle manipulations. So that's a clear example of, of spiritual abuse. That child will grow up believing that his, his or her total uh, involvement in life is to be a caregiver. They will pick out relationships with everyone they know as caregiver. They will be the caregiver in that relationship. So they will pick out people who need to be taken care of in order so, so they can maintain that role as caregiver because they're scared to death of being anything but a caregiver because that's the only thing they know. So what's been, what they've been taught is don't go to your inner self. Don't find out who you actually are. Take care of other people. Sometimes the damage is so great that people don't even know what their own desires are. They can't even get in touch with their own desires. They've been so uh, brainwashed into believing that they, their only job is to be a caregiver. And that's just one example. There's many other roles that a child can play. For example, a child can be taught uh, to be the victim. A child can be, uh, can be victimized so much in the home that they believe that the only way to survive is to get other people to take care of them. 
And so they refuse to take care of themselves. They, they complain a lot about how their life is so hard and awful and nobody understands how terrible it is. And they complain to somebody who is a caregiver and that caregiver will take over the role of taking care of them. Um, they do that in order to survive. And so they've given up their essential strength. They've given up their essential self in order to be this, care, this, uh, this victim. And, the, and, and they have uh, lost touch with their deepest spirit in order to maintain the role as a victim. That's spiritual abuse. So those are just a few examples of how parents and caregivers can spiritually abuse. Spiritual abuse can also be a part of other forms of abuse. So uh, when a child is physically abused over and over again and is taught that if he is, by, this, by the abuse, he's taught that being true to himself is too risky, meaning that he'll get beaten if he, he does something that's really original or authentic. That child will, will push that away and, and, and pretend not to be who he is in order to survive, in order to not be abused. Um, and that, that means that not only is he being physically abused, but he's also being spiritually abused. So he's, he's trying not to be who he is in order to just not be hit again. Um, that's an example. And very often with sexual abuse, the child will identify with the perpetrator, for example. Um, the child will say that, uh, to themselves that somehow they're bad and they deserve this. Or they'll say, I caused this. I was, I was seductive. Or they will say, um, I'm the bad guy. I've, I'm, I'm the one who caused all this, so I, that makes me into a bad person. All of those are choices to give up the self in order to be something other than the self. So anytime that happens, there's an addition. Not only does it, is the child being sexually abused, but he's also being spiritually abused. Because um, be, he's being taught not to be true to who he is, but to be something else in order to, to continue to allow, or not allow, but be spirit, uh, sexually abused. Um, uh, so it's not true that when a child is physically abused, he's just physically abused. He may also be being sexu- um, spiritually abused as well. So we need to think about that. When a child is being sexually abused, he may also be spiritually abused as well. We need to be able to put factor that into the equation of abuse and not just think of it as sexual. Um, it's not just what happens to his body. It's also what happens to his spirit. Authoritarianism, authoritarianism factors into spiritual abuse as well. Whenever we have somebody who's, who is in the picture, who thinks that they are the authority over another person, and that other person believes that, that authority as well, uh, there's a possibility for spiritual abuse to take place. Um, authoritarianism says, I'm the one in control. You will do whatever I want you to do or I will punish you. And um, that kind of rigid control is extremely legalistic very often, um, very particular and meticulous about uh, following the law, and also very much involved in making sure that, that the authority has complete control over the people he wants to rule over. And that kind of, uh, that kind of rulership, is breeding ground for spiritual abuse because what's happening there is the authority is saying, don't think your own thoughts. Don't feel your own feelings. Think and feel what I want you to think and feel, and then you'll be an okay person. If you don't think and feel what I want you to think and feel, then you must not be an okay person. 
Um, so it's important to um, it's important to really keep keep that up, keep that um, understanding of authoritarianism in the front of your mind, because um, when we when we work with authoritarian leaders, we're taking the risk that spiritual abuse might happen. Um, and spiritual abuse is is pervasive in the sense that that person has lost touch with their the essential self. Uh, sin and spiritual abuse. Now, there are several religions, not just the Christian religion, that talk about sin. But the Christian religion talks in particular about something called original sin, which means that because Adam and Eve sinned, or they think that Adam and Eve sinned, they uh, believe that uh, everyone is born now into sin, so that no, no one can be freed of sin except through a special salvation experience. It's described differently in different denominations of the Christian church. Um, but the idea of sin, not, not, it's not to say that we don't make, have errors in judgment and errors in thought, and we, don't, we often do are very dysfunctional in the way we live our lives. And, and uh, I believe that's because of duality, and we could spend a whole session talking about duality, which we're not going to do. But because we believe we're separate from the divine, we act as if we're separate from the divine. We act as if our survival is dependent entirely upon us, that we can't access the divine to get our survival, and we can't be okay uh, or one with the divine. We can't be one connected as one with the divine. We're split off from the divine. And that idea of sin is a part of that idea, so that we're separated from the divine because of sin. So uh, that idea sets up some, some ideas for spiritual abuse. I'm not saying everybody who believes in sin is spiritually abused, but I am saying that it can set up some spiritual abuse because a person can come, come to believe that he's unworthy from birth. From birth, he's unworthy. And therefore, there's nothing he can do about that except to follow a certain code or a certain religious belief. And that means... I don't know what to think. I don't know what to believe. I'm unworthy. I can't trust my own thoughts. Therefore, I have to listen to these other people who will lead me in the right direction. That's spiritual abuse. I have to be able to trust myself. Uh, and that, that spiritual that, uh, healing from spiritual abuse is developing that ability to trust self, to trust the inner world, to be guide, to be a friend, to be one with, to be present with. And we'll talk more about that before the end of the show. Uh, so that a whole idea of sin can be a breeding ground for spiritual abuse as well. So we've talked about what the human spirit is and the basic nature of spiritual abuse, and we've talked about what, when religious and spiritual leaders abuse and when parents and caregivers abuse, spiritual abuse. We've talked about spiritual abuse as it occurs along with other forms of abuse, and we've talked about authoritarianism and spiritual abuse, and we've talked about sin and spiritual abuse. We'll be talking about spiritual woundedness and um, the gift of the wound as we get into the next segment of the show. So stay tuned for that. And then we're going to talk before the end of the show about how to heal from spiritual abuse. So stay here for that. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Tune in to Lead Up For Women. 
Speak Up to Lead Up as we celebrate the influence of women in business and beyond. Your hosts, Colleen Biggs and Dee Daniels, speak with guests who have stories to share, have faced adversity, and have become success stories in business, in their communities, and in personal accomplishments. Join the strong and the brilliant ones and understand that the world is ready for you to be at your best. Lead Up for Women is heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about spiritual abuse, what it is and how to heal from it. And we're going to talk about that some more in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to tell you about the Super Soul Sunday coming up this May 19th at 11 a.m. Eastern and Pacific Time and Oprah's Super Soul Conversations podcast, which is on Monday, May the 20th. On that show, Oprah Winfrey is going to sit down with New York Times bestselling author and columnist, columnist and political commentator David Brooks about his new book, The Second Mountain, The Quest for a Moral Life. In this episode, David explains that there are two metaphorical mountains we must climb to live a moral life. He describes the first mountain life, which is self-centered, versus the second mountain life as a life that is other-centered. David provides insight on how our culture operates from the first mountain perspective by shaping us to be individualistic, but that it is the community approach to life where joy can be found. David also shares how his own suffering led him to discover a deeper spiritual and connected life. So we have a clip from that show coming up right now. You write about this incredible spiritual experience that you had. Yeah. Where did that come in the process of writing? Yeah, it's sort of been a lifelong, very gradual. Like some people have mystic, like uh-huh. uh, a lot road to Damascus, lightning. Mm-hmm. God says, here I am. So right. Obey me. And, 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 you you had that. But I had a, a gradual, as a friend of mine put it, reality was more enchanted than the, the categories I had for it. And so, for example, we talked about souls. I was in Penn Station, which is in New York City, which is just about the ugliest place on the face of the earth, and the least likely you're to have a spiritual experience. But suddenly I'm in these tunnels, we're all walking out of the subway, and I think all these people have souls, and they all have souls that are breathing in them, and enchanted in them, and some souls are suffering in them. And so we don't even think about the depths of, of the reality we inhabit every day, but life is more enchanted and magical than we, than we assume it is. And when I'm doing my journalism and writing about others, or you're talking to others, yes. it doesn't, wouldn't be right to think, oh, I'm just talking to a bag of genetic material. There's some meaning 
at the, the person's life has infinite meaning. And so when you think we have a soul, and I know you've talked about this, then it's a short leap to think we all have a shared soul and that there's a creator, we live in a created universe. And then that doesn't answer a lot of the questions you have, but it's a beginning. It's a beginning. I just love the idea of the shared soul, and that is so powerful and potent in terms of the, uh, the ability to think of ourselves as one with the divine and one with others, which we'll talk about some more as we go through the rest of the show today. We're talking about spiritual abuse. It's a difficult t- topic to talk about, but it has to be talked about because it's not being talked about. It's not being talked about enough often enough with enough depth to really understand it. Typically, the way it's only talked about is in the form of what I call religious abuse, where religious leaders abuse their uh, church members or participants or parishioners, and um, and that's the only way we understand it. But uh, it runs much deeper, much wider than that, so we have to understand it much better. And so we have, once, the, once we have been spiritually abused, we have the wounds of the spirit. What does that mean? It means that we're shut off from awareness of the spirit. That means that life becomes rather dull. It becomes, we're not really present with life. We're not really here for life. We're, we're so, sort of uh, living a plastic existence, going through the motions, not really present with understanding or, or, or experiencing the depths of, of the profundity of life's uh, moments. We miss that. We miss that because we're lost in thought or worry or uh, anxiety or depression or sorrow or anger or fear, and we, don't, we aren't really present with life. That's the wound. The basic wound is that we're not really present with life. Um, a lot of people describe this as like a hole in my soul. There's a hole in my soul. And what they mean is there's this painful emptiness that they describe as, as a part of their existence as a human being. And uh, that's a really sad way to live, is it, as if there is an, only an emptiness there. What they're missing is that experience of oneness with the divine, that experience of wholeness that comes from uh, oneness with the divine. And it's... Uh, and it's, uh, it's about being present, being alive, being really fully, powerfully, potently connected to the divine and to other people uh, that makes life rich and meaningful. And so then they don't have a hole in their soul. Um, there's an inability to explore the interior world. So uh, they just kind of stay externalized. Very often they just really live their lives, you know, um, this, this low-grade painful existence going through the motions, not really um, exploring their inner world at all, not really knowing much about what goes on in the inner world. In fact, uh, some of them have been uh, taught to believe that to go to the interior world is to risk connecting with the devil. So that would be a way that they would be taught not to do that, and that's uh, definitely spiritual abuse. Um, to uh, To go to the interior world means to explore deeper and deeper regions. So we get to different levels. We understand life from one perspective for a while, and then we go deeper, and we understand it from a deeper perspective, and then we go deeper, and we understand it from an even deeper perspective. And that's how we evolve into uh, a a greater understanding of life as it is, uh, as it truly is, not as we imagine it, not as we've been taught to believe it is, not as this empty, dark domain where there's not much going on except this uh, sadness or anxiety or fear or um, uh, worry. 
So there's not much uh, room for exploration of what really goes on in the interior world. These are people that don't know their dreams. If you ask them how they feel about something, they say, I don't know. Or if they do know, they know it's just a feeling of emptiness or sadness. They don't really know much more than that. There's also the no-sayer. And no-sayer, I could spend a whole hour talking about this fella. It lives in the psychology of, of the human being who's been spiritually abused. And what it basically says is, no, you can't go there. No, you can't have a rich life experience. No, you can't be really loved and, and cherished. No, you can't experience what it's like to be loved and cherished. No, you can't experience a connection to the divine that's really rich and real. No, you can't trust the divine. No, you can't uh, 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 trust that life is good for you and that you're going to be okay. No, you can't have the riches and the profundity and the power of life. No, no, I'm not going to let you do that. So what it is is this big wall inside of us that prevents us, even if we become aware that we're missing out on life, we become aware that we're missing some things about, you know, what life really is, even then, the no-sayer will come up and say, no, you can't have that. And, it, and it, when you become aware of this no-sayer, it really feels like somebody inside is saying no. Um, uh, but it's, not, it, it's, a, it's a psychology that says you cannot have that. And that no-sayer is a big deal for somebody who's been spiritually abused. So um, that no-sayer needs to come to be known and integrated into the psychology so that it, uh, it, it's not, it's not going to go away, but it's integrated so that it becomes the power to say no to what needs to be said no to instead of no to the things that we really need to be saying yes to. Often people who've been spiritually abused have a deep sense of self-loathing. This whole idea that we talked about a little while ago about sin and how that's such a, a, a deep conversation in some religions it uh, can be very damaging in the sense that people can identify as, as sinners instead of identifying as human beings who are uh, um, one with the divine, who are worthy already just because we're made a little lower than the divine. Uh, and that self-loathing per, per, it is pervasive. It becomes this sense that I can't really love myself in fact, in some, some people in some religions are taught that to love yourself is to be prideful. Um, and that, that, that pride is a sin. And so you don't need to love yourself. You need to love other people. Some people are taught that to, to uh, say no to anyone for anything is a sin because, uh, because you should be able to always be a servant to other people. You should always sacrifice yourself for other people. You should always be willing to give up your own needs for other people's needs. Um, and you should loathe yourself. You should not like yourself. To like yourself is wrong. That's, that's okay. That's an example of spiritual abuse. And so people who have been spiritually abused are wounded in that area of self-love. They have self-loathing instead. And uh, so that's one of the things that we see commonly with people who've been spiritually abused. The inability to really trust the divine that comes up with the no-sayer, as I said a minute ago, but it comes up with a deep sense that the divine may be this cruel taskmaster who wants to harm us, who wants to abuse us, who wants to punish us, who cares only for his own needs, his uh, or her own needs, and, uh, and 
uh, does not care for us, really care for us. Even though on the other side we can give give verbiage to uh, God loves me. On the on the inside we believe that there is no such thing as God loving us. That that there's no I can't trust the divine to be loving and kind and generous and giving. I can only trust I can only trust that I have to trust myself to be try to really strive after being a good person because if not I'm going to be punished. So um, it's difficult for this person to to believe that a prayer will be answered. Uh, it's difficult to believe that a healing will take place. It's difficult to believe that um, safety can be had. It's difficult to believe that food will be supplied. Uh, the needs will be taken care of. It's very difficult for this person to believe any of that. Uh, that's it's a kind of example that we saw in the Israelites in the in the in the Jude- Jewish religion. And in the Christian religion, the Israelites were crossing over the wilderness, and they kept complaining, even though their needs were being totally taken care of. They were getting quail at night and manna during the day, and the water was there for them, and they were being totally taken care of. But they yet they kept complaining and believing that God was not taking care of them. That's a classic example of not being able to trust the divine, even though the divine is doing all that the divine can do to take care of us. But there's a gift in this wound, and that is when spiritual crisis arrive. Spiritual crisis is a time in our lives when, because there's such a difficult time, there becomes an open door to spirit. We begin to, to, to believe in the possibility, or, or negotiate at least, with the possibility that spirit can take care of us, that we can be okay, that, uh, that, we, can, that, that we, we are okay, we are good, good enough people, that we're worthy things begin to shift and change in a spiritual crisis that we become become more aware of these things. And so there's all kinds of spiritual crises. Depression and sorrow can be a spiritual crisis. We can become so aware of how the depths of our depression or the depth of our sorrow, which are two different things, I should say. Depression is lack of motivation, uh, a deep sense of anhedonia, which means I don't have any joy in life whatsoever an emptiness, uh, uh, losing weight or gaining weight rapidly in, in a short period of time, um, not being able to be motivated to do anything. Uh, sorrow is just a painful heart, just a sad, sad heart. Um, so they're very different. You know, depression can also contain some sorrow, but sorrow by itself does not contain the lack of motivation and the weight loss or gain and the and the anhedonia, it doesn't contain those things. So there is a difference between those two, and we need to understand that. But depression and sorrow can lead to a spiritual crisis in that they push us to have to do something different. It's so painful and so awful that we might seek out a therapist, for example, to try to help us figure things out. Um, And then then now we're in a spiritual crisis where we, we see that there's a possibility that we could be better or we could feel better, or we could, life could be better. But we haven't arrived there yet. And that's a spiritual crisis, and that spiritual crisis can lead us to healing. Anxiety is the same. Anxiety can lead us to a spiritual crisis and, that, or, and, this, and, and be the spiritual crisis that leads us to a deeper understanding of spirituality and healing. Um, because anxiety is, is a terrible, awful feeling that horrible things are about to happen. The other shoe's going to fall. The sword of Damocles is going to fall. And it, it just you, there's this constant sense of worry, this constant sense that we have to do something to fix it, 
but we don't know what to do to fix it. And uh, so there's that deep spiritual crisis that is caused by anxiety. It's so uncomfortable that we have to do something different. So it, it gets, it builds to the point where we just have to do something different. And when we do something different, like go to therapy or begin a prayer group or start yoga or, or begin to meditate or do something like one of those things or read some self-help books or any of those things, what that is doing is opening the door to spirit. Illness can be a spiritual crisis. We can become physically ill, and that physical illness can, uh, can get us to a place where we're, uh, we're desperate for something different, something, some kind of healing, some kind of hope, some kind of um, intervention of the divine or other people into our lives, and it opens the door to spirit. And when I say open the door to spirit, I mean it opens the door to our own inner spirit to connect to the divine spirit so that we feel one again with the divine. A relationship eruption can be, can be a spiritual crisis, so that um, you have a, somebody cheats on you, um, and you, you end that relationship, and now you're alone, and you're in a whole new frame of mind than you were in five minutes ago. And uh, that can be a spiritual crisis because it causes us to start to seek after something different, something deeper, something more profound, something more meaningful in life. And so relationship can erupt and create a spiritual crisis that forces us to look at things differently. Job and careers can be a spiritual crisis. We can have a terrible boss that uh, abuses us, and we can uh, you know, try to seek after some kind of spiritual connection because we're so disturbed by what's happened in our boss, uh, with our, what's happening with our boss. We can lose a job, and that can send us on tailspin. That would be a spiritual crisis that would say, I've got to have something meaningful in my life. I've definitely seen people lose a job that they were in for many years and suddenly come to realize that they never liked that job at all in the first place, and now they want to do something that feels purposeful, it feels uh, meaningful, it feels alive, it feels rich. And so they now it's a spiritual crisis. They've been thrust into a spiritual crisis and said, no. I can't do that dead life anymore. I have to live a life. I have to be alive. Uh, a happy event can also be a spiritual crisis. Having a baby, getting married, uh, getting a new job that you really love, um, uh, to coming into some money all of a sudden, uh, all of these things can be a spiritual crisis in that they, te- they say, oh, here's something different and new. How are you going to handle this in a way that is meaningful and purposeful, and makes your life really rich and meaningful. The problem with so many people who get famous overnight is that they're not emotionally or spiritually prepared for what that's like. And so they just go blow it all. They blow all the money. They blow all the fame. They go get on a cocaine high and stay there for the next five years until they die. They, you know, they don't take on the richness of life when they take on the richness of fame or fortune. And so they're in trouble now. Uh, so a happy event can also be a spiritual crisis because it can force us to have to look deeper, run higher, run lower, run deeper to into something more meaningful and more profound. So um, when, when we have these different spiritual crises, what's happening to us is we're being asked, being challenged by life to look for something more meaningful. And the minute we start looking for something more meaningful, we have tapped into our inner spirit. 
And that's what this awakening, that spiritual crisis can do. It can bring us to that awakening where we begin to say, oh, I need something different. I need something stronger. I need something more present. I need to feel more alive. I need to feel more here. I need to feel more joy. I need to feel more light. I need to be present in my own life. And those are the things that a spiritual crisis can give us. And so there is a gift in the wound because the wound ultimately brings us to the point of spiritual crisis. And we, then we can begin to find some healing. And we're going to talk about that healing in just a few minutes right after this break. So stay tuned for that. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Tune in to The James Dentley Show and learn strategies for success in business and in life. Dr. James Dentley is a proven success coach who knows how to convert good into great. You'll find out from the achievers and leaders how they got to be the success stories that they are. And Dr. Dentley and his guests will give you the tools you need to follow in their footsteps. It's time to become the best version of you. Listen to The James Dentley Show, Fridays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on Voice America Empowerment. Tune in for Five Blossom Radio. Each week, host Denise Richard will discuss common interests in the fields of art, health, and spirituality. The series is arranged into three parts, focusing on five blossom gatherings, the Four Voices program, and Fires of Compassion. Every program is available on demand, so if you miss any part of the series live, be sure to catch up. Five Blossom Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about spiritual abuse, what it is and how to heal from it. So I said we would talk about how to heal from it um, in this last segment, and that is exactly what we're going to do. In order to heal from from, um, spiritual abuse, we need to understand that identity is very different from the authentic self or the soul or the spirit. I use those terms interchangeably, authentic self, soul, and spirit. They all mean the same thing. That is your deepest essence, the, the deepest part of who you are. It defines you, unique self, and it goes on forever. Um, that, that spirit is who you are. But identity is not necessarily who you are. It's who you're pretending to be. It's your mask and costume. It's who you act like, but it's not who you actually are in many cases. Now, what we want to do is integrate the two. We want your identity to be your authentic self. We want you to identify with your authentic self so, so that you become your deepest spirit. Not this, that you just have a deepest spirit, but that you become it. That's our true healing, when we become our deepest spirit. 
And so we're on that pathway to finding the deepest spirit. And what we, what we can come to understand is that the psyche is always leaning toward wholeness. If you've listened to this show for many years, it's been on for 10 years now, you've listened to the show, you know that the psyche is always leaning toward wholeness because I've said it in several different shows. The psyche wants us to have wholeness, and wholeness is that our deepest spirit. Our deepest spirit is the same as wholeness. So when we, when we uh, want to become authentic, what we, what we have to understand is that the identity may have its own emotions and its own thoughts, its own pathways to walk, and the authentic self may have its own emotions, its own thoughts, and its own pathways to walk. And we need to learn to differentiate between the two so that we can then integrate them. So what we're talking about is differentiating identity from the self, from the, from the spirit. So identity says, I'm superwoman, I can handle all things, bring it on. I don't need anybody, I don't need any help from anybody. I'm good, I got it, I'm taking care of it, I can take care of me and I can take care of business and I can take care of it all, don't worry about me, I'm okay very isolated and existence that's very hardened against anything that smacks of difficult feelings, anything that smacks of, of, of real, deep, honest, authentic, vulnerable connection to another human being that does not allow those things. So that's, what, that's one, one of the identities we can have. I'm just using that for an example. Um, and the authentic self says, no, I want to be vulnerably connected to other people. I want to show my deepest self. I want to connect on the level of my vulnerability. I want to connect at the level where I am truly I am. And um, so those are two different pathways, two different thoughts, two different emotions, two different ways of living. And we need to be able to differentiate those two. And here, when I'm coming from superwoman, I need to be able to hear myself coming from superwoman. And then be able to say, oh, okay, that's superwoman. Let me see what my spirit wants. What does my spirit want now? And to have that dialogue going on inside of us is a pathway to healing so that we become more aware of who we are at our deepest level. Um, and when we, when we begin to do that, what happens is we begin to um, solidly connect to the authentic self and we begin to put, put away the old identity. Um, it's not as uh, strong anymore. It's not as powerful. It doesn't rule us like it did. Now it begins to. Um, now it begins to sort of uh, be a part of the background, uh, maybe even the background noise. But it's not really. A, uh, it's not really dominating or influencing our lives. And so we we've come got in touch with the spirit now, and that is beginning the beginning of healing. So that's a part of it, being able to look at that and being able to look at our original beliefs versus the beliefs that come from spiritual abuse. What have you been taught to believe that you don't really believe? What have you been taught to believe that you don't really believe? That's a question we all need to ask ourselves because with religion, we're often taught this is how it is. This is the facts. This is how it is. And that it may not be how it is for you. It may be very different for you. You are a unique individual with a unique connection to the divine, and yours yours may may take a different path than others take. So, finding out what you believe as opposed to what you've been taught to believe is a, a very important pathway 
to healing this spiritual abuse. Recognizing that your spirit is yourself, your deepest self is your spirit. This identity, this mask and costume that you've lived out and maybe have behaved out of, and you might be able to list all the ways that you behave in that identity, may not be who you are at all. May not be who you are at all. And so beginning to see this self as your spirit allows you to begin to connect then to other people from that spirit and to connect to the divine from that spirit. So there's some processes that are involved in, uh, in this healing process as well, not just the, the, the recognitions uh, that we've talked about in terms of recognizing the identity and differentiating it from the authentic self and recognizing the emotions that come from spiritual abuse as opposed to the emotions that come as a pathway to the authentic self, recognizing original beliefs versus the beliefs that come from spiritual abuse and recognizing the spirit itself. Those are all recognitions. But there's also some processes that are very important to the healing process. And the first of those, and the most important of those, I think, is surrender. Realizing that, that, that there is a kind of leaning back into the divine, leaning back into life that uh, allows us to just kind of surrender to just, this is what is, and I'm present with what is. Um, and there, instead of trying to create something different, trying to push for something different, trying to uh, orchestrate something different, or uh, worrying that it's not going to be different, or being depressed that it's not different enough, uh, those things are our typical responses to life as life is. But when we just kind of lean back into life and go, okay, what's here for me? What is here in this moment for me? Uh, breathing into it, just kind of allowing yourself to sit with it and just breathe into that life. Allow that life to breathe into you. That's a kind of surrender that allows you to recognize and begin to process your own vulnerability, your own deepest self, your own deepest essence. Um, So surrender is very, very important. And by that, I don't mean giving up not giving up on our dreams. We're not saying, oh, I can't ever have that, so I'm waving the white flag now. Uh, What I do mean is that we're just leaning into life, leaning into the mystery that is life. Instead of expecting life to do what we want it to do, I've got a sign in my office that says, uh, the thing that screws us up most in life is the uh, picture in our heads of how it's supposed to be. And I think that's really true. We spend a lot of time about with how it's supposed to be not much time with how it is. And how it is, is how it is, and that is our life. So we're avoiding our life in favor of some fantasy about how life ought to be. And uh, that, that's a, that means we're not really present with what is, we're not really present in our lives. And uh, so it's important to understand that process of surrender. Treating desire as sacred, that's another pathway to the, to the spirit. Um, instead of treating desire as something that needs to be put on the back burner and treating desire as if it's selfish, which is one of the things that we te- teach a lot in the Western world, we teach that desire is selfish, you shouldn't have your own desires, that desire is wrong and selfish. One of the things I love to think about is uh, root language of various sacred texts of the world, and one of those is the Jewish Tanakh. In the Jewish Tanakh, the word Yahweh is, is the word for God. It's so supposed to be God's name, and it, it means to be, 
But at the root language, the root part of to be is desire. So it actually means the desire to be. The divine is the div- in, in the Jewish faith is the desire to be. And we also have that same desire to be, and that is sacred. That is powerfully, potently sacred. So when we treat that desire as sacred, we begin to live into our desires instead of living into the shoulds, have tos, and ought tos, and uh, that makes us awaken to our deeper spirit. Treating space as sacred. So where is the space you're in right now? Are you in your bedroom, in your office, in your car? Are you walking down the street? What is the space you're in right now? That space is your sacred space. What are you doing in that sacred space? Take off your shoes mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Take off your shoes and walk in that sacred space as if it's really a divine place for you to be. Um, That's a way of connecting to deeper spirit so that we treat space as sacred instead of just this is where I'm at and I'm really sort of ignoring it. I'm just kind of going through the motions. Experiencing the divine is another way to do that. We have not been taught to experience the divine, at least not in the Western world. We've been taught to worship the divine. We've been taught to obey the divine. We've been taught to, um, to think, think highly of the divine. We have not been taught to experience the divine. And experiencing the divine is what spirit is all about. So being able to do meditation or uh, do uh, meditational walks or sacred walks um, to, uh, to allow yourself to really experience the divine. Um, centering prayer is one of the ways that Christians do it. Um, allow yourself to, what is, it, what is it that it's like to be with the divine or to be as the divine as we experience ourselves as one with the divine? What is that like? What is that experience like? That is true spirit. And when we can experience the divine, we are, uh, we are truly aware of our own deepest spirit and of the connection to the divine. Finding your own inner authority. Who makes your choices for you? Do you make them from the outside? Do other people lead you around by the nose? Do, do, you, do you make your own choices or do other people make those? Do Do you make your own choices or does some law, some external authority make those choices for you? Um, Certainly we need to be aware of the laws that are are out there. We don't need to be running red lights and stop signs and all that everywhere. But we we don't need to to run our lives by externals. We need to run our lives from internal. There's an inner authority within you. And to find that and begin to live out of that is very, very healing. Trust, learning to trust the divine. Experiencing the divine is how we learn to trust the divine. Once we experience the divine as who the divine is, we naturally just develop trust in the divine. So I encourage again, experiencing the divine. Sitting in the presence, standing in the presence, walking in the presence. These are all ways to, to really become aware of what's going on inside of me right now. I'm present with myself. I'm here I'm present with myself, and I'm, uh, I am alive to that. I'm alive to my deepest self so that I can hear and he- see and taste and smell my deepest self. So those are ways to develop that uh, deeper self so that you can become more and more aware of spirit. The way we heal spiritual abuse is to become very deeply, closely acquainted with our own spirits. 
And that's a journey that we can take through various measures that I've talked about here today. So we've understood spiritual abuse as something that's not just happening in any one church or any one religion. Um, It's happening around the world in all kinds of different ways. But we can heal from it, and we can do that by becoming very deeply and closely acquainted with our own spirits. So that's our show for today. Remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week. 